Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. K-System Stats is the first thing in the list today, and, and to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about it, and I'm not going to find out a whole lot about it, because it, it, it feels pretty straightforward, and I think I'm just going to have faith that it is as straightforward as it appears. So, according to the entry in slash var slash log slash packages slash K-System Stats dash asterisk, it's a K, it's a, a System Stats is a demon that collects statistics about the running system, as you might have guessed from the name. There are two binary executables uh, distributed with this. One is KStats Viewer, and the other is KSystem Stats. So if I launch KStats Viewer, nothing happens. Okay, how about dash dash list? There we go. Uh, it, it shows a list, uh, if you do k system, or k stat, stats viewer dash dash list, it, it gives you a, a list of available sensors. So these are, you know, I mean, not necessarily physical sensors, but they are, it's a, is it fair to say it's an API to, to what's going on on your system. So you could do, for instance, let's, let's look at the, uh, OS kernel. OS slash kernel is defined as kernel. Oh, here's something cool. OS system URL as operating system URL. Uh, and by URL, I mean URL. Just sometimes it's so much easier to say URL. KStats viewer dash dash details, I think, on OS slash system slash URL. So that, yeah, it was details. Okay. So it says OS system URL is http colon slash slash slackware.com name operating system url short name description unit minimum maximum great not a whole lot of information there but let's do os uh, slash kernel uh, so k stats viewer dash dash details os dash uh, slash kernel uh, that seems to be taking a lot longer to gather information about or i have done something wrong all right control c out of that let's make could it possibly no it's not yeah, no, there's no detail with a capital K. I don't know why it's taking so long for that. That doesn't feel like it's working. No, that's not working. Okay, that's weird. Not sure why that's not working. Uh, let's try something else really quick. Uh, ah, here's a kernel version. Oh, oh, you know what? Maybe that's... Maybe, maybe there's no... Maybe I was trying to look at something that was basically incomplete. Maybe I needed another slash. Okay, so OS slash kernel slash version. There we go. OS kernel version 5.15.38? I thought I was on 5.17. Either way, I should probably update eventually soon. So yeah, a little bit of information about that, I guess. That's kind of useful. Uh, what if we do kstatsviewer dash dash details network slash all? No, that stalls out. I, I, I honestly think that there is a bug in this application that is causing it to stall when it receives only two two slashes or one one slash rather a a value separated only by one slash because if i do for instance stats viewer dash dash details cpu slash cpu 11 stalls out if i do 
the same thing, CPU 11 slash temperature, so that's CPU slash, CPU 11 slash temperature, for uh, for instance, then it gives me the name of the CPU, the, temper the name of the sensor, which is temperature, description unit is in Celsius, minimum, maximum, zero, zero, so I guess it doesn't know a whole lot about that, but the current temperature apparently is 46, I guess that's believable, yeah, yeah, that's believable, pretty hot to the touch, but not, not, not on fire, um, so yeah, yeah, this is this is strange. I for this really 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 weird that doesn't seem to. What if I just do something? What if I do an asterisk so that I'm just I'm just giving it no. It 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 detects that that's not a real thing. Uh, so I can't just give it two slashes to convince it to go forward. Okay, anyway, that's KStats viewer. I'm pretty sure there's a bug in there or or you know, if it's not a bug the way I'm thinking it's a bug, then it's a lack of clarity about what the argument actually is supposed to be, which is a kind of bug. So the the other binary, I don't know what it does. K system stats is actually, I think, K K yeah, K system stats is what it is named. And if you do a help, it tells you that you can dash dash replace and dash dash remain. But what actually happens is that K system stats, if you run it without any arguments, it 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 does declare that it has loaded plugins, which map back to user lib64, uh, and, and those are the entries for, for instance, ksystemstats underscores plugin underscore cpu dot so. So these are all the Qt5 plugins listed in this package, but in terms of what it's actually doing, I don't know. Now, interestingly, there is a... Um, you know, this is, this is meant to run as a daemon, as it says. So, so it is, it's running, it's doing something. There's a service file in user share, uh, dbus dash one or something like that, uh, for org.kde.ksystemstats.service. So it exists, it's, it's humming away, it's working in the background. I just don't know where it's being leveraged, to be honest. I'd, I couldn't find it being linked against in, for instance, the, what I would think would be the obvious place, which is K Info Center, or it, at least I felt that was the obvious place, but apparently not. Um, and then there's also Plasma-System Monitor, which I don't think I've gotten to yet in the official list, but I figured I'd check, and no, that's not linking to it either, so I'm not, I'm not 100% sure where this is getting used. Potentially, it's not. Like, maybe it's a thing that developers are using or, you know, some people are using to monitor their system, but it's not really that integrated into other applications yet. I, I don't know. Not sure. So, not a whole lot to say about that other than the fact that I've already spent uh, eight minutes on a package that I said, I'm gonna just skim over this one. So anyway, that was K-System Stats. Check it out if you're curious. I don't find it super useful, but it is an interesting curiosity item at the very least. Next in the list is KT Timer, and this one amuses me. I, I, I think I kind of get why it's a thing, but it is amusing to me. So anyway, it's called KT Timer, and it literally is a little timer for the brewing times of tea. And there are presets, so... When you launch KT Timer from like your application menu, it, it launches, I think, straight to your system tray. Uh, I could be somewhat wrong about that. Maybe it's just launching there because I've already configured it, but it'll either, it'll either launch to your system tray or it'll offer you some configuration options and then go into your system tray. And uh, the presets are black tea for three minutes, earl gray for five, fruit tea for eight, and then green tea for two. And, and whenever you want to start a timer, you just click on the, the 
T-Timer, uh, you don't click on it, you right-click on it and choose from those presets, black, tea, earl, gray, fruit, or green, what what timer you want to go to, to set off. So let's pretend like we're making green tea right now, just so we can see, we can we can witness this for ourselves, although I don't think you'll witness anything at all. But it, it'll give me a pop-up in, I guess, two minutes for when the green tea has brewed. But while it's doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about this configuration item, uh, the menu rather, and it's it's pretty simple. It, it's a configuration min, uh, window that lists the presets that exist right now, and you can add to them. So, for instance, I I do actually happen to know that it takes seven minutes for my electric kettle to boil water. So I'm just going to put boil water, and then I'll put seven minutes here. And now I've got a preset for boiling water. You can also configure what action you want KT timer to take when when it's finished and uh, by default it and it, it, it's pop-up a pop-up message notification you can also set it to auto hide the pop-up after 30 seconds or remind you every some number of seconds I I am not sure what happens if you turn pop-up off? I don't know how you would ever, ever know that your tea was done, but I guess if you, I don't know, maybe you just look up at the icon, and if it's a certain color, then you know that your your tea's done. I'm not sure. I ran out of things to say about KT Timer, so I had to pause my recording while I waited for the timer to come up, and then, of course, it, it chimed after, while it was paused, so you, dear listener, didn't even get to experience the audible chime of the KT Timer, but it's just the default KDE desktop chime notification thing, little ping that it does. So that's KT timer. I can see this being useful to somebody because, in fact, I can see it being useful for myself because I will admit to being, my, my office space is very close to my kitchen. And so I have maybe, possibly in the past, I've gone into the kitchen, I've put some toast in the oven or started my coffee heating up or something and walked back into my office and then completely forgot about it and five minutes ten minutes later burnt toast is everywhere uh permeating the air and uh the coffee has reduced down to sludge so not not great i could use that kt timer in fact i, I think as i'm saying it out loud i think i'm going to launch it again and keep it handy because this is what I need in my life. Clearly, this is actually really, really useful. Wow, it really sold me on itself. I started that thinking it was just this charming sort of thing that British people must use to, you know, for their tea rituals. But, but no, I think this is an actual practical, real life thing that many of us could use. So check out K K K T timer. It's really, really useful apparently. Uh, K text editor is next on the list. So let's go to var log packages go for k text editor provides a powerful text editor component that you can embed in your application either as a k part or using the kf5 colon colon text editor library the text editor component contains many useful features from syntax highlighting and automatic indentation to advanced scripting support making it suitable for everything from a simple embedded text editor a uh, text file editor to an advanced IDE. I feel like I've talked about this before, but maybe I haven't. This is the, um, I mean, in my mind, this is the selling point of, one of the 
one of the major selling points of KDE is is the stru- is the way that they structure these things. And I'm not saying other desktops don't do that. I don't know for a fact whether they do or don't. I have not looked that deeply into other desktops, to be honest. But I really love this about KDE, and and you'll see it. You'll see it in KWrite. You'll see it in Kate. You'll see it in KDevelop. The same kinds of the can- the same kind of features abound. And you think, why do these different applications even exist? They seem almost exactly the same. And I think you really see it, like, from K-Text, no, uh, K-Edit, wait, what is it? K-Write. From K-Write to Kate, you think, what's the difference? Like, Kate's just that much better, so why K-Write? Why would that exist? Don't understand. And then from K-Write, no, from Kate to K-Develop, you think, I don't get it. K-Develop is is, uh, basically Kate with, like, a, a... bigger interface like what why why does that what's that for but then if you look at k write and k develop you know you skip that middle one you kind of skip from end to end and you think oh my gosh they're completely different applications but they're still using a lot of the same components and and i think that's what's that that, that that's a powerful feature the fact that you can reuse this code to perform a common task, but you're you're reusing the code for different audiences. Because Kwrite, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful little application. It's just a little text editor. I mean, that's that's really all it is. And yet, if you if you need more features, you can dig down into Kwrite and find the highlighting and the indentation scheme and the encoding and the mode that your that your text document is in. You can do all the stuff that you you know could in in kate really like there's not a whole lot of a difference but then you open kate and and while yes you are looking at the same you know you look at at tools and there that's literally the same menu mode highlighting indentation encoding uh all the same stuff but then there's all this other these these other uh menus there's an xml menu and uh there are line numbers down the side and there's tabs down the side and there's um a bunch of selections for you know quick quick uh, well your the mode that you're in at the bottom of the screen and what kind of tabs uh you have you're using what kind of encoding it's in and so on so and then you do the same thing with kdevelop and and again you'll you'll find many of the same features and yet the trappings around it are completely different intended for a completely different use case and it makes a big difference and you can have those kinds of subtle changes because the main part of the application exists in ktext editor there's no there's no binary here this is this is not a this is not text edit this is this is the text editor this is the thing that powers the other things there it's a bunch of header files some cmake files of course and some translation files and that's it so very very cool um and i i think i you know there are so many ways that i can imagine i can envision sort of the act of personalized computing being advanced and one of them and they're they're not necessarily all con- sort of congruous or coherent to, with one another but but one idea certainly would be well what if we had these you know building blocks that people could assemble into to applications that work well for them and and this is kind that this this is kind of it feels like that i mean it's completely different i mean it's very this is still very advanced stuff you're not going to find people dragging ktext to edit widget into their excel spreadsheet to give them you know to to build their application that they then export as an application and it launches magically or something like 
you know, but but this is a modular component to a much larger system that that offers ostensibly really simple features. Like th this is it, it's quote unquote just a text editing interface. Like that's not that big of a deal. And yet, as I've said, once you start putting it into different applications and and framing it for different use cases, putting it into the hands of users, uh, it's a it's a pretty big deal. Okay. So that's what I have to say about that, which I realize isn't a whole lot in a way. I mean, all I've did, done is, is praise it without any specifics. And I'm trying to get away from doing that too, too much. But um, I don't know. There's there's something to that because sometimes we just, we flatten everything. You know, we look at it and we just think, yep, that's an application. It looks like KDE application to me. But there's a lot more going on there. For instance, there's KText Widgets. KText Widgets is another set of header files that provides the KDE framework for useful text actions. Um, so if you think of, for instance, the Linux terminal, then you might think, well, you know, you got great tools like find and grep and sed and awk and tr and, and, and iconv and, and so on. And if you kind of abstract that concept out to, well, what would be like the quote unquote commands that you would use within a text editing environment. And and you and I, dear listener, can probably name a lot of them, like literally. We could probably, well, what do you mean? Like, wh why abstract that away? Like, there are literal commands that you can use for text editing, like said, for instance, or, or awk, or, or Perl, or, you know, whatever you want. Well, TR, again. Um, ed. Uh, so, yeah, there, there are you, you can do that, but but just for a moment, abstract it away and pretend like, well, if we had to come up with the equivalent of those commands in a graphical environment, what would those be? And they would be things like uh, find, find and replace, find maybe regex. Uh, well, actually, I'm making that one up now. Um, no, I am not. Okay, cool. Regex. Uh, there's um, plural handling spin box. Don't know what that is. Replace. Forgot about that one. There's a bunch of bunch of different things. Oh, uh, find dialog. The, the dialog box to to let you configure how you want to find and replace things. So those components of a text editor you you would want in a text editor. And this library, um, or or rather, no, actually, yes, I was correct. There there are so uh, there's an so library here in. Uh, plugins designer. So yeah, this this library uh, provides those kinds of, well, widgets, um, text widgets, so that people can use them for their applications, for their text editing applications specifically. So here's K-Timer up next, and don't be fooled by K-Timer. It is no T-Timer. This is not a T-Timer. I mean, I guess you could probably use it as a K-T-Timer. Actually, you could. Let's, let's re-implement K-T-Timer in K-Timer, just for fun. So you launch K-Timer. The top of it is a an empty list, probably, unless you've used it before. And you can click the new uh, button to create a new list item. And now you've got a list item. Now mine, for some reason, defaulted to one hour and 40 minutes. Maybe that's the duration that um, I... Oh no, it's it's one minute and 40 seconds. Sorry, I'm, I'm off, off one field uh, a little bit. So there you go. That's what it's doing. So I'm going to do... Um, so the bottom... So I've got an empty list item at the top and it shows me that there's a counter a delay a state and a command and the 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 state is set to stop where it's, it's actually a square but that's the stop symbol uh because you know on a player like the triangle is a play two lines is pause big square is stop so that's the stop symbol counter and delay are filled in automatically as a minute and 40 seconds 
probably the values that I left it in when I last used this application, and then command is completely empty. Okay, to fill in those fields, the bottom half of the application, the bottom half of this window, displays um, a settings and a state. And within settings is a line for a command. It's a command space line. kdialog dash, I'm typing this now, kdialog dash dash msgt, sorry, msgbox message box, and then space quote, t is done, close quote, delay. Uh, let's just do it for maybe thir 23 seconds. There we go. That was right by my fingers. So that's what I've set it to. Uh, I could set it to loop. I don't want that. Start only one instance. Yes, that's checked on by default. Consecutive task. Uh, no, this is just a, it's, is it, it is its own thing. Now the state box over here on the on the right is still in the stopped state. So now that I'm ready to, to start this thing, I'm going to click on the play button and uh, I can I can tell in the in the little box here that it is counting down. So I'm gonna close that window. It's still active. It's it's up in my system tray, just like key, it's literally right next to KT timer. And in a couple of seconds here, uh, a K dialog box should pop up and tell me that my T. Yep, there it is. T is done. So I'll click OK, and I've just re-implemented KT timer more or less in in K timer. Okay, I'm going to remove that task. And that's all there is to it. I mean, that is that is what it is. It is a thing that you can use to create, to, to, to take action after some time of delay. And you can imagine that being useful for those one-off things that you, that, that you're, you know, you're staying up late at night. You're just waiting for that one task to finish so that you can start this, this other one. Well, you could feasibly use K timer to, you know, within, after two hours of waiting, then start this task or whatever. So that, that seems pretty useful, but that, you know, it might seem useful. I, I don't use it myself really. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've used it before. But but not all that often. I mean, it's it's basically the at command, but in in GUI form. Next up is K time tracker. Th these are these are fascinating little applications. Now I have friends who who track time fairly rigorously. Sometimes I feel like I should, but I I guess I've not really felt like I should strongly enough to actually try it. But but there are people who do this sort of thing. And K time tracker is is an application intended specifically for that. Its little handbook is extremely well written. Uh, it is task oriented. It, it You open the handbook and it, it states what the application is and then it gives you scenarios. It gives you a problem. Uh, problem. I'm a software developer and I need to time the amount of the time for how long I work on something uh, on each project. Use K time tracker and here's what you need to do. Uh, problem, I'm a contractor and I can only spend five hours a day on such and such a task to, to stay within my billable hours. Here's what you can do. Uh, problem, I am a, a freelance person and I have one project that I'll keep on desktop one and another project that I'll keep on desktop two and I'll switch back and forth between them and that'll dictate how how things get you know that'll that'll mean that if I'm on desktop one record time for this project if I'm desktop two record time for that project really really cool stuff if you're into that sort of thing which again I'm not so I don't do this actively but having read the handbook uh, and it's it's beautiful it's so beautifully written really is and it's short 
It, it, you click like three times and you're through. Well, six or something, but it's 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 short. Really nicely done. So, I mean, granted, it's not a complex application, or at least from a user-facing uh, perspective. So, you open up K-Time Tracker, and the from left to right in the top toolbar. So, the first button is create a new top-level task. That's important. Top-level task is... Um, Kind of a dummy task. It it is it it th this I find a little bit awkward to be honest, but th that's what you do. So you do a top level task and you name it. That's the project. So for instance, let's imagine that I've got a top level task and I say con content creation. That's the top level task. Now within that top level task, I create in the next button over on the toolbar to the to the from left to right. Uh, create a new subtask in the selected top level task. So I'd have content creation selected, then I'd click create new subtask, uh, record podcast. Okay, start, uh, uh, mark that as, as done. Uh, and then maybe there's another thing that I have to do, which is um, do the show notes, make show notes, which takes me, you know, like seven seconds in real life, but pretend I wanted to track that. So that would be another subtask of this content creation. Maybe I needed to record an episode of something for Hacker Public Radio. Subtask, record show for Hacker Public Radio, and so on. And then maybe I'd have a different task, a different top-level task of uh, take a coffee break. And what are the steps there? Well, I have to go into the kitchen and I have to uh, put on coffee on the, um, on the little mocha pot thing that people call a mocha pot that I call an espresso maker, and and so on. Um, so then, once you're ready to start a task, you, you, you go to that task, and you click the play button, and it starts recording. It just starts tracking time. So now, now I am recording a podcast, and I have been for uh, five minutes, I guess, or since I started this. Five minutes or five? Yeah, I guess, okay, five minutes. I mean, I, I started it and then restarted the recording, so um, that would be why, because I haven't actually been talking, I hope, for five minutes. I don't know, maybe I have. Uh, anyway, there you go. That's that's K Time Tracker. Now, if I wanted to say, okay, I'm done that task, then I could stop it, and I can put a little check mark in the the little auto-generated uh, radio button or whatever, uh, check, K check box yeah, that's what must be what it is, uh, and it tells me how much is pers uh, how much of this task is complete. Well, now that I've done the check mark, it's one hundred percent complete. Uh, and since that's the only object in or the only subtax task in this um, in this task, uh, I can mark the task done. It gets a big green check mark. It gets one hundred percent percent complete. And now I know all that data is is saved in a file. Uh, I think either as CSV raw or CSV that you can export from that data. I, I forget which. and I, I didn't bother trying it, but um, really nice. And then, I mean, like I say, for people, see, one of the co common complaints I hear about about this activity of, of sort of like tracking time is that the, the, the barrier to that is the having the, the wherewithal to reliably remember to go start a new task or to tell rather to tell your computer to start the new task timer. So the fact that it can switch back and forth between desktops seems really, really invaluable. Um, some people have told me, I, I know people who do this, so <laughs> some people have told me uh, they, that they that that's not enough. That they need um, down to the application and then other people say they need it down to the Firefox tab that is currently active and, and maybe even more like well yeah no the tab the tab would be the the website that they're using i guess so yeah um people really really sort of 
get into this sort of thing and they want to see bar charts and graphs and apparently there is some of that with this i mean first of all you've got your automated desktop tracking so i mean you could just create 16 desktops they're free create 16 desktops uh have your um well i guess you could even do like you know your your firefox um window with uh, your email uh interface in it your firefox window would, would be in, in desktop one which you would then call email and then you would uh, do desktop two and call it, um, LibreOffice. Desktop three, you would have, you know, something else. Well, maybe another Firefox window. And that one is, is pointing to your, um, your Kanban board. So, you know, like have, have it divided like that. And then you could switch between, ta- uh, desktops and K-Timer would just be switching with you back and forth, back and forth. And then at the end of the day, you could get an output of all of everything that you've, you've been spending your time on. And oh, what I was trying to say too, I, I've got, sidetracked there on the details uh and apparently you can import this stuff into like k organizer and i think some other application uh sort of like to interface with like a project management kind of framework all of that is not something that i'm interested in but i could i can a hundred percent see where people I, I i i know the type of people i know the people who who do this kind of thing and would love and could love that sort of framework? They would just have to switch from GNOME to KDE. That would be that would be the the, the that would be the the hurdle to to get over. Although as I've demonstrated in previous episodes, I'm pretty sure um, you can make KDE feel like GNOME. At least from my perspective, I know from probably someone who really really uses GNOME all day, uh, it's not it's not at all correct, but. I don't know. Anyway, K time tracker, very cool. Um, I can really see people really, really getting into that. And, and I can see myself getting into that were I a freelancer. But now that I've made a task to go get coffee, I guess I kind of do have to go get coffee or else I can't check that task as complete. So I'm going to, I'm going to switch over to that task and then I'll be back for the rest of the show. <laughs> at a grocery store out of town the other week we had gone so over new year's day the town that i live in lost water it just ran out of water it's a it was a weird sort of infrastructure problem that hopefully is being fixed but it was kind of a downer and so we we just drove out of town just because i mean what are we gonna do sit around all day not being able to like have any water so we we drove out of town and and just kind of made the best of it and uh we ended up in a in a nearby town and we we went to the grocery store for for something i don't remember what but i think oh water <laughs> why that's what it was literally for water um so we went in for for uh, some 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 backup water because we we ended up not having water for two days so it was good to have actual water um so we got some water and then we or rather i noticed that that there was coffee a bag of, a big bag of of coffee really good coffee uh on sale i don't know why it was just on sale. I mean, why would you put coffee on sale? Like it's gonna sell. So, but I grabbed it, and it was like a kilo of coffee beans. Um, and so now I've got something to contrast my sunshine blend with, which is nice. So 
I'm kind of switching back and forth uh, between those two so that my palate keeps ha- has to keep guessing as to what, what blend it's getting or, or whatever, what roast it's getting each each time. And that has proven uh, to be quite nice, actually. So, I've got coffee. You probably have coffee. And now we're going to talk about listener email. This one is from Deep Geek. Deep Geek, you'll know from previous emails on this show. He says, first, regarding Linux documentation, I recently found that there's a program slash project called TLDR. You should check it out. Essentially, uh, once the client is installed, uh, uh, there's a database that's built and you type in something like TLDR tar, and it gives you a page containing the examples of the most frequently performed operations like tar x uh, v z foo dot tar dot x z, for instance. Um, so, yeah, actually, I know about that one, TLDR. I know that one. I know TLDR. T- t- uh, yeah, TLDR. That's one ri- ri- written in Rust. There's Cheat. Uh, and then there's also Cheat. So I wrote a Cheat program called Cheat, and it was written... I wrote it because there... W- okay, so many, many years ago, there was a Cheat program with GitHub project, and there was, you know, the Cheat application itself. I don't remember what it was written in. I think maybe Python. And then there was a repository of a bunch of... just cheat sheets, just like TLDR. And they were just text files, like Markdown, I think, or, or maybe just text, I don't know. It, it wasn't like a database, it wasn't, there was no, it wasn't even as fancy as like a man page, you know, you didn't have to do any conversion whatsoever, it was just a text file. So, recently, fairly recently, uh, which, you know, I'm probably talking like two years ago recently, um, they, they switched from Python to like Go or something, and I have no problem with Go in theory, I just, I just find like, it's just a cheat command, right? So to me, I just feel like that's not really use, it's not really, that doesn't call for even Python, to be honest. I mean, it's just such a simple thing. And so I just, I couldn't, I, for whatever reason, I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate running a Go application called cheat. It just seemed too much. It was just too simple a a request to require that many lines of code and compilation and and all of that. So I decided to just re-implement it it in Bash. And I mean, it's really, it's, I think it's a find and a cat. It's nothing, nothing fancy, but that's what I wanted. Um, I mean, you could probably even do it with less, really. I mean, we could say, well, let's just alias cheat to cat path name and then append whatever, you know, request. But I, I feel like I wanted something a little bit fuzzier. I wanted like a fuzzy search, maybe. that I could be making that up. It might just be a cat command a- alias. I'm not sure. It's a really simple uh, application. But yeah, I love these applications. Cheat, TLDR, 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 cheat. Those are great. Because honestly, I mean, look, I'm fine with the man sys- the, the the man pages system. I'm fine with the info pages system. I'm not fine with the fact that nobody seems to know what they're supposed to do. It's like we have great systems, but nobody has defined what the what the system is for. It, I mean, we have. It's just oh, you know, like documentation and stuff. What, what what are we documenting? Are we documenting like the specifications of the application? Or are we documenting how a user is expected to use it? Or both? Like, what's the purpose? And we don't know. We still don't know. After decades and decades of, of Unix and Linux, we have no idea really what the man page is for. And you can tell me what it's for, but you're, you're, you're not, you know, you, like we can't control 
what people put in their man pages. So so even if we say, well, the man page is, is exactly for for this, it, it's not meant for, for that. It's not a full document. You know, I've heard people say, well, it's not supposed to be full documentation. It's just supposed to be a reminder of how to use stuff. Okay, sure. Have you ever read the FFmpeg man page or the GCC man page? I mean, those are not just gentle reminders on how to use the application. So I, what I like about, and you know, and then some people say, oh, man pages is for, you know, X, but info pages are for Y. Okay, well, still, there's no real, you know, I, I just feel like someone needs to level set, like what, what everything is all about. And, and luckily, cheat and TLDR and those kinds of commands have come along, and they kind of know what they are. They're task-oriented cheat sheets. You're not going to look at a, a cheat sheet. Do I have cheat? installed lately or do I do I not let's let's find out cheat tar I do there we go you're not gonna look at at is this my cheat sheet my cheat command let me do it which cheat yeah it's in local bin I didn't even realize I had it installed for some weird reason shows you how often I use it I guess although I guess I'll um I'll take that as a compliment to myself I mean obviously I just know these commands so well that I never have to use cheat. Um, yeah, actually, it's a it's a more complex program than I realized. Um, that's a little bit disappointing in a way, but I mean it's fine. So there's um, there's a fetcher, there's a lister, there's a printer, and a helper. No, that's good. Yeah, okay, I'm I'm okay with this actually. I like this code. I'm I'm not yeah. Um, and the thing is that you get you you can get cheat sheets from various sources. So you can get the ones from the GitHub account of, of the, you know, the, the original cheat command or, or what I think of as the original cheat command. And then you can get stuff from other, other sources of cheat sheets. Uh, in fact, if I looked up where TLDR keeps their cheat sheets, I could probably integrate the, well, I could easily, I mean, well, as long as they're in plain text format, I could integrate them into this command. So anyway, you're not going to, nobody's going to look at cheat tar expecting to get a full explanation of all the different capabilities of tar and and and, and what kind of compression uh, compression algorithms uh it it uses and and so on what you're going to get is a just a a a, a rap sheet of every single of, of of all the things that you would want to do with tar to extract an uncompressed archive tar xvf path to foo.tar to extract a tar in speci- in a speci- in specified directory tar xvf path to foo.tar dash c capital c path to destination and so on now i don't love these cheat sheets maybe as much you know if i'd written all of these they'd be a little bit different they wouldn't be using short options for instance they'd be using long options because long options as i've said many times before are self-documenting they 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 literally tell you what they do dash dash extract dash dash verbose dash dash file foo.tar well that explains xvf a lot better and is a lot more uh you know it's got, it's got a built-in mnemonic so that you don't have to refer to the cheat sheet so often but anyway i digress so cheat commands tldr commands we know what they are they they have clarity of purpose whereas man and info they just they're just so muddled that you nobody knows what they're really for they don't know if it's a the full specification document uh with the historical requirements document and the you know the 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 the, the specifications of the application of how it works and yeah nobody knows what they're for so I mean, it would it would be another thing. Heck, if we just said, okay, we're gonna do away maybe with the 
maybe we could add some categories to the man system. You know, you have like, what is it, man up to man nine for kernel routines or something. And maybe there could be like a man 10 for just the cheat sheets or something like that. I mean, that wouldn't exactly work. But I mean, at least, you know, I mean, you could say like man 10 for cheat sheets, man 11 for, um, you know, like a, a user manual style, like a handbook with, with all the context. Uh, and every every capability of an application is recorded here, but but look elsewhere for the thing that just tells you you know actually how to what what you're actually meant to do with it, or look elsewhere for the full specifications of like of the the requirements that the, that this application meets and so on. I don't know something like that. Point is, I don't feel like man or info are well defined, and I think that cheat and TLDR just happen to be well-defined, and, and and I love them. I think they're really, really useful, and I, I, I feel guilty sometimes for not writing more cheat sheets myself to add to, to the cheat infrastructure, or the cheat and TLDR infrastructure. Okay, so anyway, uh, Deep Geek continues. He says, I was very surprised that you thought Brad was wrong with his assessment that System D was a move toward Windowsization of Linux. He is only slightly off. I rewatched. Benno Rice's lecture, The Tragedy of System D, and found that needed and found the needed factoid that Leonard Pottering admitted that it was a port of Mac's launch D functionality. As a former Mac user, I am sure you don't want to go back to the Mac ways, right? Remember that we are not just talking about an init an init system here. We're talking about adding a layer of global system operations to a Linux system that, without system D, has only kernel and user space aspects. System D adds a system-wide functionality to change that to kernel, user space, and system layer functionality. So this is interesting, and I, and I, I actually got another email from Brad here today. I don't know where it went at all. Here it is. Um, so I got another email from him saying uh, that, just wanted to clarify something, I don't fault anyone for liking Linux, and I still do use Linux at work. You said there was a through line with the direction Linux is taking. Unfortunately, with the ever-growing one-process-to-rule-them-all mission creep that is System D, I honestly believe that through th- 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 that through line points directly towards Windows. More and more, and more things are falling under the System D umbrella, and I recall hearing Leonard Paltering in an interview with Chris Fisher say that that the team, that System D wanted, quote, to own, well, is this a quote or is this a quote, quote? Is this a paraphrase? Brad does not specify, so I, I won't say quote, um, but he said that System D wanted to own everything between the kernel and the application layer, add to that the fact... Oh, and yeah, there's no close quote there, so... Um, add to that fact that he left Red Hat and went to Microsoft, some conspiracy theorists would say, back to Microsoft, that he is an agent provocateur. It, it, it all points to a rather disturbing picture, and the, at times, poorly coded software that either crashed, didn't work, or thumbed its nose at the Unix way of doing things. Um, XX is a broken concept, so I fixed it for you. You can thank me later. Uh, Pushes Linux into the realm of Microsoft software reliability, and I have been working with Unix for almost all my adult life and have been a professional Unix sysadmin for nearly 30 years. And I like the Unix way. Kudos to others that like the new face of Linux. It's starting to feel almost as alien as Windows to me, just attempting to explain what's uh, going on inside my head. 
So, um, yeah, this is all really important context, uh, for, for me at least. Um, I, this is actually probably the most, um, lucid conversation about System D between Brad and DeepGeek, uh, their emails. This is the most lucid email, or, uh, conversation about System D I have had since System D first burst onto the scene back in what would it have been like 2000 i don't know 9 10 something like that is that right uh, maybe earlier than that 2007 7 or 8 probably so i don't know whatever whatever it's been right so literally for a good um let's call it 12 years of intense like sort of controversy i feel like this is the most rational conversation I've had about it. Not for lack of trying, by the way. Um, it's just, I don't, I do not find the discourse about System D that happens on the internet to be very useful almost ever. Um, I just don't. So I, I, I appreciate this con, this conversation immensely. I feel like this is a, an invaluable conversation because this separates now what the, I think what the problem actually is. What I'm getting from this conversation and I don't think I'm misunderstanding anything, but what I'm getting here is that some people don't like System D based on the design, the, the prospect of, of the design that it is um, sort of bringing to Linux, like the, the, the architecture, the system design itself, while other people like System D for the functionality that it provides. Now, I feel, and I'm, I might be cheating here, I might be, I might be trying to to straddle a fence that, that, that unfairly. Although to be fair, I guess I am straddling that fence. I, I have a foot in the system D, um, field and I have a foot in the outside of system D field here. So, you know, this is a, a sort of a, it's kind of a cowardly stance in a way. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'm getting, and I've said this several times before, right? I'm, I'm getting the benefits of system D in some places, and then I'm, I'm enjoying my freedom from system D in other places. And, and if I were, if, if, I guess if I cared more personally, I would probably take a firmer stance. I would say, well, I'm, I'm a Slackware user. I don't mess with system D and, and so get it out of my, get it out of my, off of my system. Um, but in reality, I, you know, I use Slackware on all my personal things. And then when I boot a, a Raspberry Pi or something, you know, it's, it's booting CentOS or Fedora or whatever, whatever non-Debian variety of system I can find. Or if it is doing Debian, then system D is still there. So I'm enjoying like the benefits of it over here, but not over there. So anyway, what I was trying to get to there. So I, I feel like when I'm using system D, I, I very much enjoy all of the features that it provides me. I really do genuinely enjoy it, especially with all the container stuff happening right now. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's brilliant. It's so nice. It is so smooth. Um, and previously I honestly literally thought that people were upset about system D because of uh, the fact that they had to do these these new kinds of files called service files or whatever they're called in systemd uh the the system unit files whatever they yeah unit files i think um and and i never really understood why that was such a big deal it's a plain text file you can write it yourself you put it into a folder and it works just like any other config system i i didn't understand what the problem was um, but that was one of the main things that i heard problems about other than the fact that just system d just had too much going on in it um but uh between brad and 
deep geek I'm getting now that um, well I mean I guess I always, I mean I knew that yeah there's there there's this sort of this idea that well but Linux it does one thing and does it well and system D does two things and and doesn't do either of them well that sort of thing I've I've heard that enough I get it I get it um, but uh, this this point here uh, that deep geek makes um we're talking about we are talking about adding a layer of global system operations which i don't know what that means to a linux system that without system d had only a kernel and user space uh, aspect to it that's a that's really clearly stated actually like that 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 statement right there i kind of wish i kind of wish people had said that a lot more back when this was a a very very hot topic because that's that's something there adding a layer of global system operations to a linux system that without that that otherwise has current only kernel and user space now whether that's a problem or not is is up to yeah the user like kind of like what Brad was saying here. I mean like if that's what you like, if you're okay with that, then I guess you're okay with that. Look, my my biggest my personal biggest I don't care if there's a global system operation to a Linux system, honestly. I, at least not that I know of. I don't I don't know that I care. And the the um the allusion to Max Launch D, I get that. I I do. I, and I've known that for actually a long time. I I guess yeah, I guess I should maybe should have mentioned that or something. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I know that it's like Max Launch D. I really do. I honestly do. I mean, I, I believe that's even why he called it System D. I think that's what the D at the end, I mean, yes, also for Damon, but but also I, I think that was not, un, I think there's a, there's a similarity there. But, but in terms of, yeah, okay, so it's, it's Launch D likes uh, functionality, but I mean, once again, like, if it's working and it's open source and it's improving user experience, I don't, I personally, I'm not feeling the, the contention there. Like, that doesn't bother me personally. And I get, I 100% get that, that, that it might bother other people. Um, and, and here's the, the thing where I'm being probably disingenuous as well, or, or maybe I'm not being disingenuous, but I am, I'm, in in not taking a firm stand on saying i am really really against system d then then i am probably opening myself up for 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 sadness later on um and and i may be really sort of luxuriously letting other people sort of brush away the things that i don't want to have to deal with so here's what i'm saying um so I, i'm saying I, i'm fine with system d on on some systems right i don't see the problem i don't care if it's like mac launch d it's working it it works well it is and it, and it is fully open source so i don't have a problem with those Th that list of of requirements is that's pretty much what my requirements are so at least that's that's what i tell myself my requirements are because once again i'm at us i'm on slackware and i can't imagine not having slackware on a computer so you know one thing i'm saying one thing i'm doing so anyway system d it's there it's working it's open source right it, it, it is open source that's the key for me that's like really that that shouldn't be the last line item that should be the top number one is it open source yes okay does it work Yes. Is it improving user experience? Yes. Is it making my job easier? Yes, yes, yes. So, um, it's there. But one of the things that I love about Linux and, and about open source is, is the choice, right? That's a huge, huge part of, of open, I mean, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's, it's probably the hugest thing about open source. I mean, just the fact that we get to choose how we, how we do things. So the, the one lingering sort of fear, 
that I have about system D for myself is the elimination of choice. Like the more system D grows, the the and the more things hook into it, potentially the the fewer choices we have for for Linux, right? And 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 the thing that has kept me rather sort of benign on the topic is that I've heard that for 12 years and I have yet to see it. Now, like I say, maybe I'm allowing the invisible kernel or or no, init system elves solve everything for me. Um, But, and I'm just blindly sort of like blissfully saying, ah, system D is not really causing that much of a problem. Because look, I'm on Slackware, I don't have system D and I have everything I could ever want, including flat packs for easy installation of big gargantuan applications like Kadian Live. So maybe, you know, the the fact that these, some programmer somewhere is hacking around, you know, and creating shims for things that are hooking into system D and they're, they're making it so that it still runs anyway. Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's a thing. I don't know. But for me, that, that that's the one lingering fear I have about system D. It's just that it could at some time sort of eat the 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 choice part of 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 Linux and that would be on some level a deal breaker for me and when I say deal breaker on some level I do mean a deal breaker on some level because personally um like I say like Linux is doing everything I could ever want it to do at this point in my life like it it is it is exactly I mean it's been there for a long time but I mean after you do it for a lot of years you're just like oh I I think this is really really exactly what I want out of a computer like it really it, it has a cumulative effect um and so I'm I'm pretty darn happy with it in terms of like the little multimedia projects that I get up to and the coding projects that I get up to all the all the things I do on Linux are the things that that I want to be able to do and and systemd's never slowed me down yet and not having it hasn't slowed me down yet um and and having it hasn't slowed me down yet so I don't know I don't I'm not seeing the difference personally from my perspective um if other people are and I believe other people are because two of them have just emailed me um then I think that's a fair critique of system D and you know once again I mean in a in a not confrontational or sarcastic or dismissive way I think that it's really really good like I'm I'm being legitimate here like it's really good that we have alternate really strong alternate operating systems open source operating systems in case you are the tinkerer who just cannot for whatever reason uh, appreciate the fact that there's a new layer you know, between that kernel and that user space, that there's a global, a global system, global system operation layer or, or, you know, component to the Linux system, then you can, uh, you can, you can use something different. Um, and I, I think, I think the really, really concerning thing for me would be if there were no, if there was no Linux that could, that could exist without system D. I think that would start to concern me a little bit. But even that, to be honest, I mean, systems, systems and system design does evolve and it should evolve. And so even that, I think I, I don't think that would be a necessary, I would have to look at it. I would have to, I would want to, you know, I, I, yeah, I'd want to see it. Um, I could be, you know, I could be, I, I could be, just on the slow slope down, you know, who knows, like maybe I'm not taking this seriously enough, but after 12 years of hearing about system D or whatever it's been and not seeing the sort of the problem, I, I, I am, I have a really hard time getting on sort of a position where I fear it or I don't appreciate it strangely enough. I mean, I do, I feel because a lot of people that I respect, two of whom just emailed me, um, say, you know, don't, don't, you, system D, not, not, not a good idea, bad, bad design. 
Um, and yet, you know, I, I don't know. What, what can you do if you, if you don't, if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. And I'm just not feeling it still. So I don't know. Um, really interesting, absolutely fantastic conversation though. And I thank both Brad and Deep Geek for engaging me on that because as I said, and I'll just say it one more time real quick, that was the most useful, the most lucid, clear, enlightening conversation about system D I've ever had. So thank you. Uh, like again, in 12 years, that's that's the best. Okay, so um, I think that's about everything. I mean, that took up the entire second half of the show. Uh, so I, I guess that was a really good listener email. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you got something out of it, dear listener, uh, or found it at least uh, enlightening or or somewhat interesting. So thank you very much for uh, listening, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open Who said anything about me? No one. Everyone, I don't care!